Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Eye health matters. The brain uses our eyes to help us see, and our eyesight is connected to brain development. Now, we've all heard the expression, the eyes are the windows to the soul, but it's also the window to our health. We don't generally think about an eye exam as something that could save our life, but a comprehensive eye exam can provide important clues at identifying serious underlying health conditions like tumors or aneurysms or neurological diseases. It can even identify things like diabetes, the number one cause of blindness in Canada, which is a disease which is expected to affect nearly 14 million Canadians by 2026. And eye health just doesn't start when we're older. From six months on, we should be working with professionals to monitor our eye health in children. Studies show that 80% of what a child learns in school is information that's presented visually. Vision or eye health problems can affect their ability to retain, learn, and perform basic tasks. And although most parents believe they'd be able to tell if their child had poor vision, in the majority of cases, they can't. As we grow older, our eyes may look the same, but they functionally change. We can't see color as well. They don't adjust to light levels, and our tear ducts can have issues leading to what are called dry eyes. We may need intervention to deal with the glare and ocular diseases like cataracts and glaucoma and age-related macular degeneration, which can lead to vision impairment and affect our daily activities. Seniors with vision and eye health problems experience nearly twice as many falls and three times the incidence of depression so as you can see, our eyes play an important role in our health. So today we chat with Dr. Claire Halloran, owner of East Coast Eye Care in Clarenville, Newfoundland, about the importance of eye health, what we should know about it, and what we can do to protect it. Let's check it out. Hi, Dr. Halloran. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, today we're talking all about eye health, and you're the perfect person to chat with. Can you share a bit about your background with our audience today? Yeah, for sure. Well, I came to optometry by way of my parents, actually. They were actually both also optometrists. They're now retired, but um, I, I sort of found my way to the profession. I hadn't really considered it, actually, until I was about 16, 17 years old. I happened to shadow my dad one day um, and realized, oh, this is actually a pretty great job. He gets to work with patients, gets to have a good relationship with them. I was really interested in um, healthcare. So um, it was, it seemed like a good fit. So then I went off to university and then eventually optometry school. And then I found my way back to Newfoundland in 2011, started working in my parents' practice part-time. I was also working part-time in a couple other practices to see where I wanted to be. Then eventually made my way back to the family practice where my parents were. And then I took that practice over at the end of um, 2016 and have since sort of expanded it and, and increased our services. And we have uh, two other doctors that work with me now too there as well. So that's kind of how I found my way to the profession. And yeah, and optometry has changed a lot in those last number of years. So it's yeah. been exciting. Yeah. Well, that's right. And I mean, maybe you could explain to everybody, like why is there need to be a specialty dealing just with eyes? Like what makes them unique? Yeah, so the eyes are a pretty special little structure. They they do obviously they allow us to see, but the way that they function uh, is very specific, and there are many many parts to an eye that um, need very specific monitoring. Um, and as well, there's that optics component of trying to help people see better. So the majority of the world's population requires some assistance to see well. Um, or optimally. 
And so you need individuals who understand that system to assist the vision and, and so that they can function in a daily life. Um, we'd be very restricted in some cases to what we could do or function, how we could function if, if there was no way to correct the vision. So in addition to correcting vision, then we're also looking to make sure that the eyes themselves stay healthy for the length of the life of the patient. Um, you know, so there, it's, a, it's a pretty special little area where um, it does require, I mean, I did four f- basically full years on just the eyeball. Right, right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. it is a complicated structure. We teach it anatomy and it's a, it's a, it's a complicated part of the body. That's right. for sure. And right. so, I mean, you know, you go to the, you go to the optometrist, you, you get an eye exam, you look at a chart on a wall. Is that the only type of eye exam we do? Like what are the different types you can go through? Yeah. So there's many types that, Really, I mean, in a general sense, when we do what we call a comprehensive eye exam, in that one, we're going to do a certain number of tests, um, even before you even see the doctor, in order to kind of set up the examination, kind of get a baseline idea of what your vision is, um, what kind of correction you might need, can also pinpoint whether you're at risk for certain eye diseases. And so then that way we can tailor the eye exam. So usually, and I always say our comprehensive eye exam is sort of our exploratory exam, because from there, sometimes we do identify other things that need to be monitored. And sometimes that requires me just referring them off to a surgeon. But a lot of the times it's things that we can do in our own clinic in terms of monitoring for a certain disease, some diseases we can treat. Um, But there's also examinations after someone's had some eye surgeries, there needs to be proper follow-up there, whether it be elective surgery like LASIK or cataract surgery, other retinal surgeries, corneal surgeries, things like that. So your optometrist can help with that. Um, If someone gets something in their eye, a lot of people don't realize that we do this, but um, you know, I've got plenty of patients who are mechanics and get the occasional little piece of metal in their eye or something like that. And they'll make their way into my office. And that's a pretty quick fix for fix for us. Usually, you don't have to sit around for hours in an emergency room to get that dealt with. Your optometrist can deal with that. So that's good. To know. Um, that's always good to know as well. Uh, you know, examinations for contact lenses. Some people are interested in alternative ways to correct their vision. Um, and then I, there's other specialty services that we offer too. Um, dry eyes is a big area for uh, that people are plagued with. Um, and some people have uh, issues with eye coordination, so eye turns, lazy eyes, things like that. Sometimes there's special exams we can do for that kind of person hmm. as well. Cool. So many different tests. <laughs> there's, there's lots, eh? Well, I'm going to yeah. stick to this question then. So like we hear the term, we go, we go get an eye examination, we find out we have 2020 vision. What does that actually yeah. mean? So 2020 vision is sort of what we say is perfect vision. Okay. So it, that in particular is a, is a Snellen measurement. And funny enough, 2020 means 20 feet, which is actually like more of an imperial, an American measurement. Mm. Um, sometimes in Canada, you'll actually hear it called six, six, which is in meter form. So six yeah. meters. Um, basically when you see at 20 feet, you're seeing what you should be able to see from 20 feet away from what we examine. Whereas if I put it alternatively, if someone has 2100 vision, mm-hmm. it means they need to be 20 feet from that chart. Whereas someone who has 20-20 vision would be able to be a hundred feet away and see oh. that thing. So um, that kind of sometimes if I put it in those terms, it makes people understand it a little bit better. You can also have better than 20-20 vision, meaning you could be even further away from a 20-20 target and still see it. 
That's how you determine if they're actually an Avenger in their in their spare time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. That's legal. Like, yes. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. So have you seen some changes in the industry over the last few years, or at least the field because of uh, changing health trends, for example? Almost certainly. Some of the drug companies just, you know, have, have come to realize that that's a large area of industry that could be helped, you know, in terms of certain uh, medications to help with prevention of um, dry eye, for instance, I mentioned earlier, that's a big one. There, you also sometimes see now a, a drop on the market that can actually help you see better. So for those individuals who are starting to lose that near vision and becoming a little bit more farsighted, there's actually a drop in the market. It's, it's only available in the U.S. right now. We'll see if it comes to Canada. Um, but it essentially gives you better depth of focus to help you see. So like interesting things like that, but there's been amazing advancements in contact lenses in terms of who we can give contact lenses to. I like to say I can basically fit anyone in a contact lens. It just depends on what our goals are um, because there's lots of different options that we have now. You know, there's all kinds of facets like that. And one of the other doctors in my office um, does vision therapy, which is another mm. area that's um, grown specifically in the last number of years, a little bit less known, but boy, we have seen some amazing effects from that in some of our patients. So mm. helping train the eyes to work more efficiently. A sports vision is an area that's a large part of some people's practice. So if they're in an area where there's lots of more higher end sports, professional type sports programs um sports vision can actually really enhance an athlete's capabilities to actually train the vision system to work more efficiently so it's pretty cool we're here with dr claire halloran owner of east coast eye care in clarenville newfoundland about the importance of eye health what we should know about it and what we can do to protect it we'll be right back after the break Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Claire Halloran, optometrist and owner of East Coast Eye Care in Clarenville, Newfoundland, about the importance of eye health and what we should know about it and what we can do to protect it. Let's get back to the interview. What are some of the common conditions that you're going to see that require people to have corrective lenses? Yeah, well, at the base level, there's, you know, three main types of vision issue so nearsightedness farsightedness which would be myopia hyperopia astigmatism is another term people will hear a lot about and presbyopia is another one so presbyopia is um part of the natural aging process of the eye that's where we start to get a separation between what our eyes need to see far away versus what they need to see close up um, if we start to, we have this natural mechanism that we're born with that helps us focus close up, but for whatever reason, it starts to kind of peter out and not function quite as well. Once we hit our mid forties, um, most individuals every now and then I'll find someone quite a bit older than that who still has pretty good focus close up, but generally for women, it's usually between 40 and 45. We start to notice a bit of change. Um, men, it's usually 45 to 50. They start to notice that a little bit. Um, so that becomes, you know, a, a time when a lot of people will seek eye care because um, a lot of people, if you're born farsighted, your distance vision is pretty good and your near vision is pretty good for most of your life up to that point. Mm -hmm. And then you start to go, what's going on with my eyes? I'm going to get seen too. So I'll, it's not uncommon for me to see patients in that age range and it's their basically their first eye exam that they've oh. ever had. And I can usually predict why they're there. <laughs> I sort of say, we have a little bit of trouble reading. Um, and that's usually why they're there. So those wow. are the main reasons why at, at base level, people would be seeking care. 
about yeah okay so okay so i've heard this term before and whether or not i'm not really sure if i've got the definition right but it's called low vision does that mean somebody needs to have glasses or contacts or something like that so when someone has low vision it typically means that they have probably some condition occurring in their eyes which does not allow them to see optimally and glasses are likely not the best way to correct them. It doesn't mean that they wouldn't wear glasses. They probably do. Um, They may wear glasses to enhance whatever vision capability they have. A lot of those individuals would have maybe a genetic issue with their eyes. Um, A common one that would cause low vision would be uh, retinitis pigmentosa. That's a genetic condition that's a little bit more common. And that does result in your um, like a tunnel of tunnel vision effect that occurs over a number of decades and progressively worsens. There is no cure for it. Um, and so those individuals will seek care for low vision aids. So that's where like our CNIB or uh, low mm. vision rehabilitation specialists might come into play. They would help with different devices. Some optometrists have an uh, interest in that area as well and may actually retail some of those devices in their office or be able to do analysis there. We have um, hand magnifiers that can assist yeah. individuals that we would retail or, or show our patients. Um, but they're, you know, depending on, again, what you really look at there in those cases is you look at their lifestyle and what it is that they're, they're feeling like they're losing their independence on and try to enhance their vision to the point where, um, or, or get an aid that might help them be able to do that and, and, um, and allow it so that they don't need assistance for that all the time. Right um, yeah. So hopefully that explained that a little bit. Um, yeah. There's yeah. a lot to it, but, um, but yeah, but basically it's just enhancing whatever vision capability that might be possible with other aids. basically. Well, I think about a couple of diseases that I think a lot of us have heard about. There's a condition called macular degeneration. Does that, that causes low vision, I think, right? It does it, it not? really yeah. can. Yeah. It okay. can for so sure. T- tell me about uh, what that is and how that's actually treated. Yeah, so macular degeneration, that's an area where we've seen a lot of enhancement in terms of uh, of treatments, which is great. We have not found a way to actually prevent it necessarily yet. It is usually kind of genetically predetermined. Cigarette smoking is one of the biggest ways to enhance your uh, possibility of getting macular degeneration. Essentially what happens in macular degeneration is the macula, which is the is responsible for your central vision. So when you look straight ahead, when I'm looking at my screen right now, straight ahead, it's my macula that is is taking that information in. It's essentially the screen where all of our images are imprinted on and then sent to our optic nerve to see. And then all that happens very instantly, right? So when we have macular degeneration, we have buildup occurring in the macula, which then occasionally will tell the body, oh, we're having damage here, Let, let's help repair it. Well, the body only knows one thing to do when something is in disrepair. Like it sends things through the blood vessels. It sends information there, sends blood there, sends repair cells there, whatever it is that it thinks is going to help. Of course, the macula is actually a vascular um, and on the top level. And so meaning that there's no blood vessels there. So there are not supposed to be blood vessels there. Mm. And so when the body thinks it's damaged, it starts to grow new blood vessels, which we call neovascularization. Um, And our bodies are not real great at growing brand new blood vessels. As we know, our moms do that for us in utero. And so 
when these blood vessels grow there, they're quite weak and they break very easily. And so what happens then is we end up with a collection of blood in our macula, which is supposed to be nice and transparent so that the information can pass through. When the blood is there, we cannot see. So it Mm. distorts the vision. And unfortunately, then the structure is such a very finite structure that if the blood is there for too long, it can cause scarring. And that's where really get that vision loss aspect so the key with macular generation is to know that it's happening because there are two forms dry and wet wet is when the bleeding occurs dry is before that happens not everyone with dry macular degeneration will result in wet macular degeneration it's not like Mm. a predetermined path that it's going to take Um, i've had plenty of patients who have dry macular degeneration doesn't mean that their vision their vision probably is not perfect um, and it may be dulling slightly so we kind of get a dulling effect um, over time but they will not get that solid um, vision loss that can happen Mm -hmm. from that generation the great news is now though if we do know it's occurring um, we can do things that we can monitor it properly and then if the, the key is to know as soon as there's a change as soon as we do that then we can initiate some of these other treatments that are available and that's when I will refer off to one of our ophthalmologists on the pro- in the province who do injectable therapy for that. And so we can inject what we call anti-VEGF treatments. Mm-hmm. So they will help stop that signal to grow those blood vessels, which is key. Um, and then the body is great under absorbing blood. So sometimes even if there was a little bit of bleeding that occurred, as long as you've stopped that signal, shut that down, sometimes the body will absorb that blood, not a lot of damage there, and the vision can actually be restored. So that is possible. It's just really about... We're here with Dr. Claire Halloran, owner of East Coast Eye Care in Clarenville, Newfoundland, about the importance of eye health, what we should know about it, and what we can do to protect it. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Claire Halloran, optometrist and owner of East Coast Eye Care in Clarenville, Newfoundland, about the importance of eye health and what we should know about it and what we can do to protect it. Let's get back to the interview. You know, if somebody gets diagnosed with glaucoma, are they going to lose their vision? Um, these days, as long as someone's getting regular eye care, vision loss from glaucoma is much less likely. Um, we do not have a cure for glaucoma, unfortunately. We have really great ways to manage glaucoma. All right. So the key, again, is making sure that we know it's occurring um, this is really key where, you know, I, some of my patients will, I, you know, I'll have someone come see me for the first time ever um, and they kind of bounce around to different doctors. They're just get looking for new glasses or whatever. And the problem there is that if there's not fairly consistent care, sometimes we're not sure if there's like subtle changes occurring and glaucoma tends to be s- quite slow progressing and, and, but it is progressive. So it is nice to like have that information at subsequent visits to be monitoring for any change that might be occurring. Mm -hmm. Typically we will always measure your eye pressure Mm. at exam. Eye pressure is one of the key ways that we will know whether someone is at risk for glaucoma. What occurs in glaucoma is the fluid that's inside our eyes. So our eyes full of fluid there's constantly fluid being produced and drained out of our eye. And we're not talking about the tears on the surface. This is all occurring inside the eye. Um, So it's different fluid than our tears that we can think about as a fluid that our eye produces. But um, 
this is all occurring inside the eye. And so the intraocular pressure, so knowing what the inside pressure of the of the fluid inside pressing on the structures inside the eye. That's what we're looking at when we're measuring your eye pressure. And it's the optic nerve in the back of the eye that's susceptible to that pressure change. And that's the part of the eye that gets damaged in glaucoma. And so when we're doing an eye exam, we're going to look at that eye pressure. And then we're also going to look at what the nerve looks like, because there is also something called normal tension glaucoma, meaning your eye pressure will read quite normal. Um, we have a, no, a normal range that we want to see the eye pressure in. Um, but there is such a thing as normal tension glaucoma, meaning your eye pressure is super normal. You might ask your eye doctor, is my pressure good? Yes. Is my optic nerve good? Would be the next question. And in that case, we might go, not sure. So <laughs> we may need to do further examination of the actual nerve tissue. So what's great now, again, another advancement that we've seen in the last number of years is the addition of a way to actually scan the tissue of the nerve and that can kind of compare it to what a nerve should be for someone their age, race, and gender. Um, we also do what we call visual field exams. So when we lose vision from glaucoma, it is a progressive um, loss from the outside in, meaning it's a tunneling of the vision, um, not a central vision loss like you get with macular degeneration. Hmm. But if it is left completely uncontrolled, and unidentified, um, it will never hurt. Glaucoma mm -hmm. will never hurt. Um, but what will happen is your vision will progressively just tunnel in and you, so you will lose your peripheral vision first. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, you know, the lights can go out completely mm -hmm. um, to the point yeah. that you cannot see anything. Yeah, that is yeah. possible. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's one more, I think is, is treatable um, that we've covered now. A common one we've heard of before. Tell me about what cataracts is. Yeah. So cataracts, that's another area where we've seen a lot of advancements in terms of the abilities to correct that. Um, I mean, back in the early days, the only way to remove a cataract was to actually knock the lens out of the eye itself. That was called couching that I'm talking about, you know, many, 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 many years ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, then what we would see later is um, the lens inside the eye actually being removed. So there's a lens that sits directly behind the iris or your colored part of your eye, um, where all of the light that you see passes through. It has to go through that structure. It concentrates the majority of the light that comes into our eye so that it causes a nice sharp point of focus at the back of your eye so that we can see what we're looking at. Um, the glasses assist with that too, but it's the lens inside your eye that really helps that. Um, but of course, as light is passing through that, it is causing little structural changes, um, which eventually, if we live long enough, will cause a little bit of change in terms of a clarity of that lens. And that is what a cataract is. There are different types of cataract. Um, some medications can also um, assist in, in cataract formation. Uh, individuals with diabetes will be more likely to get um, cataracts as well, especially if they're not controlling their blood sugars. So, you know, those kind of areas will, will kind of look a little bit more closely if someone's on a certain medication or if they do have one of those comorbidities. But um, in general, you know, once we reach a certain point, um, some cataract is very likely. What it really comes down to is, can I still correct your vision well with other ways? So contact lenses or glasses. If I can no longer really get your vision as clear as I used to be able to get it, well, that's what I'm going to suggest. Maybe we should visit with one of our surgeons and have it looked at. Right um, so nowadays, cataract surgery 
very quick. It's an outpatient procedure typically, um, you know, provided there's nothing else going on. Um, we make a very small incision in the cornea and then basically everything for the surgery is done through that really tiny little incision. No sutures are needed. Um, the downtime is pretty minimal. There is, you know, you're still recovering from real surgery. And so, you know, you are recommended to kind of monitor your eye and things over about a you know, six week period, which is pretty typical for most uh, surgeries. But, uh, but generally you see quite well, even just the day after, um, and the inflammation that the eye kind of gets from the surgery is gone typically within, you know, a week or two, sometimes, sometimes Mm -hmm. it'll hang out a little longer, but generally that's, uh, that's the case. It's it's quite amazing. That's a pretty good prognosis there. So you mentioned diabetes and so, you know, there's also swelling and damage that can cause the eye as a result of that. Now diabetes is 6.4 million Canadians that are diagnosed with type one or type two diabetes. It's a huge concern. We have the highest rates here in the province. If somebody is diabetic and listening to this, like what do they have to keep in mind when it comes to their eye health? Yeah. So um, like anything with diabetes, blood sugar control is key. So understanding that you, what the disease is, that your blood sugars can spike, knowing what does that to your body is super important. Um, So one of the questions I'll ask my patients is, do you know what your last blood sugar reading was? Do you check it yourself? So we're always kind of, you know, in a very, so my patients know exactly what their last A1C reading was, and they know exactly what their last blood sugar was, and they know when they took it. Others, maybe not so much. And those are the individuals that I'm maybe going to look a little bit more and maybe educate a little bit more on what can occur in their eyes. What's cool in our office is we will take a, a fundus photo. So the fundus is the, is the whole back of the eye. So we will actually image your retina and have an image there that we will show you. Uh-huh. And so um, I do this with our, our diabetic patients for sure. I'll show them the little blood vessels that I'm seeing inside your eye. And what's cool about the eye is the blood vessels that are inside of it are very small, right? And so they can indicate how your body's handling um, specifically your diabetes. Um, and so sometimes if you've had diabetes for long enough or if you're not controlling it well, we will actually see the eye telling us mm, the body's not doing so great with this. We'll start to see little tiny hemorrhages occurring, uh, meaning that the blood vessels are a little bit stressed from the, uh, from the blood sugars. Um, particularly that a blood sugar fluctuation can be a problem. So some people might go, well, sometimes it's four, but then sometimes it's 14. Um, And so (laughs) that's hard on the body from constant fluctuation. Uh, I'm like, sometimes if you just maintain it a little bit higher, but but steady is probably actually a little bit easier on your body to handle. Mm. So specifically those little blood vessels, but the macula, like I talked about earlier, is also susceptible to diabetic issues. So that's a big area where we can see vision issues occurring um, because of the diabetes. And again, we will use similar therapies, like I talked about earlier with that anti-VEGF. So we will inject therapy to tell the body, okay, don't overreact here. Um, One of the other things you'll see is actually controlled burning of the retina. Um, So we actually control um, out out in the very edges of your retina. Um, Sometimes we'll see surgeons burn part of it. That is just a mechanism to tell the body, oh, well, we don't have such a big surface area now. Maybe we don't need 
so many of these bad signals. But I mean, I know for me, I would prefer not to have part of my retina burned yeah. on purpose. So one of my keys is especially on my side of things where I do mostly that preventative primary care. I'm trying to say, listen, we don't want to get to this point where you have to go get things injected into your eye or burns inside your eye. Yeah. Let's let's control the blood sugar so that we can not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's very a- easy ways to manage it. It's just, you know, just being aware of this- the best. We're here with Dr. Claire Halloran, owner of East Coast Eye Care in Clarenville, Newfoundland, about the importance of eye health, what we should know about it, and what we can do to protect it. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Claire Halloran, optometrist and owner of East Coast Eye Care in Clarenville, Newfoundland, about the importance of eye health and what we should know about it and what we can do to protect it. Let's get back to the interview. Let's get into a couple of like things that I think are probably on people's minds now. The fact that we are connected to screens all day long. There's this blue light. People say it keeps you awake. You know, it could be bad right. in your eyes. What's the what's the real facts behind blue light and our vision health? Yeah, so blue light is short wavelength light underneath 470 nanometers. Okay, nobody needs to really remember that, but you know, realistically, it's super high energy light, and so it enters your eyes fast and it causes a lot of light scatter inside your eye so it kind of lights up your eye in sometimes a negative way right now some blue light is natural right so the light coming from the sun even though we might think that's not blue light it is blue light a lot of the time so um that's actually important for our body so blue light does give us that circadian rhythm so if you're not if you're staying indoors all day and not seeing the sun, that can be detrimental as well, because you're not maybe going to know how to regulate your body well enough. But alternatively, yes, the devices that we have now, so computers, iPhones, iPads, whatever, you know, brand we're using, (laughs) all of them are emitting this blue light. Um, And, and they have not really, I don't know, you know, it just has to do with the, the light sources that are being used in those products that they, that they are emitting blue light all the time. So this is a problem because we're not really supposed to be around probably that much blue light in the run of a day. Um, and then mix that in with some of the lighting sources that are in an office space. Fluorescent lighting can be tricky on the eyes. Um, even some LED lights are also in that blue light spectrum. So you've got ambient light around you blue light you've got the blue light coming from the screen in front of you then you take a lunch break and you're staring at your phone the whole time it means just blue light all day long Mm -hmm. (laughs) so this is a bit of a problem because the cells in your eyes are interpreting that all the time and and are kind of turned on a lot more than they should be and at night time that's a big problem because you're really not supposed to be around blue light at night that's not what our bodies want. Um, and it can really kind of screw up our um, ability to rest properly. Um, and, and it causes a lot of eye fatigue. You yeah. know, that's the main key there. It's really a lot of fatigue. We're probably aging the eyes prematurely doing that most likely, you know, just like too much, some can damage certain other parts of our body. Too much blue light indoors is likely causing it advanced, even this aging process probably in the eye. Yeah, hmm. that's interesting. Well, so so yeah, the information we sort of heard is is pseudo, right? And so you just clarified that. That's really good. Now let's talk about like when should we actually go in to see somebody like yourself? Like, how often are we supposed to go in to see the optometrist? Yeah, so we recommend 
that kids be seen somewhere between six months and one year for their first exam, which mm-hmm. often shocks a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they think, how in the heck would you be able to do an exam on a little baby like that? Um, at that point, we're just identifying any major concerns, right? So we're looking for any eye turning issues, a lot of different. So we want our right and our left eye to be similar to each other in terms of the way they function. So we're looking for that symmetry between right and left side, um, because that can all affect the way that we continue to develop. Um, And it doesn't always mean that we're going to need to do any correction at that point. It's just an identifying kind of time for us to make sure there's nothing there that needs to be uh, monitored more. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we want to see that kid sometime before the age of, um, Five. And what's great is actually the, the Newfoundland government ha- has a program called ICI Learn where you do um, have a covered eye exam for children before they go to school one time. So as long as they're age four, they can be seen once. And if they actually need glasses, there's a program there too where they could um, end up um, getting glasses covered as well visit which is great it'll help them with learning learning is like 80 percent vision so it's super important for kids so after once we reach school age we recommend yearly visits for kids even if they see perfectly fine we've talked about a few things that we want to monitor where it won't necessarily result in poor vision sometimes the kid won't be able to tell you if they don't see well you know they just see the way they've always seen so sometimes they don't know i mean i've had multiple times in my years of practice so far where a kid will say, oh, that I don't see as well out of the parent is over in the corner, shocked. They're like, what did they just say? You know, what, what do you mean? That's your not good eye. And they just think that's, you know, they know one half their body is usually pretty good and the other half's not as good. Well, they think that's normal for the eye, right? So um, it's not. (laughs) If you only see well with one eye and not the other, um, you know, we should should have a look at why and figure that out. uh, and then, uh, and then later on, once we reach adulthood, like every two years typically is, is fine. And, and that sort of is, I'd love to see my patients every year. I think that'd be great. But, um, insurance companies sometimes dictate otherwise, which, so that doesn't happen. Um, and every two years is typically fine though. We're going to, we're in, that's, that's generally about when your vision might be changing a little bit. You might need a little tweak if you're a glasses wearer and we're going to be able to identify any, um, any change that might've occurred. Um, going longer than that is a little bit more risky, right? Where you're you're, you're putting yourself at a little bit of risk of having some change and not being aware of it. Um, and and it, but if someone has other comorbidities like um, diabetes or they have a strong family history of glaucoma or a mom or dad with um, sister brother with macular degeneration, I mean all those things really need to be monitored. They tend to be fairly genetic in in in, in the reason why they occur. So. It's really good for us to know about that. It's good for you to know why someone in your family may not be seeing well or may be seeing an, an eye doctor frequently, you know, ask why and ask if they know what the diagnosis is. Uh, it's good for us to know that. Good. That's good. Well, you know, I'd be kind of remiss if we had a wellness show here and we were talked about eye health and everything you can help with, but how can people help themselves when it comes to their lifestyles? There are certain things we can do with the way we eat or take care of ourselves that can make a difference for our long-term eye health. Definitely. Um, so, you know, like a lot of things, we recommend a diet full of fresh fruits and vegetables, um, lots of different colors of vegetables, particularly the dark green leafy vegetables are very important um, and, and as fresh as possible and as, you know, even as raw as possible is often very helpful. There 
are I vitamins out there too. You might see um, over the counter, which are not bad. They're, you know, especially if you're someone who knows their diet's not perfect having a multi it's a great multivitamin but also has a little added benefit for eyes so never a good uh, never a, a harm there if you were thinking about taking one of those but um sleep is also very important for the eye mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a time when our eyes will rest if we're not um, well rested our we can end up with a lot of issues um in terms of eye comfort that's probably the biggest thing and and just our ability to function throughout the day so again i talked about earlier um you know our all that exposure to blue light well if you haven't rested well and then you're going to subject yourself to blue light all day at work just because that's the nature of the job you have um it's 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 going to result by end of week your eyes not feeling great or end of day and and it can really affect your ability to function um and so you know you know making sure we're getting good sleep doing anything we can to do that so, Dr. Holland, we're, we're starting to close up here, um, but we learned a lot today. I, I certainly did. Um, any advice you want to leave our listeners with when it comes to taking care of their eyes? I think the key is if you haven't had an eye exam in a long time, you should probably call again an eye exam. Yeah. Uh, you can go to the Newfoundland College of Optometrists website and have a list of all the optometrists that are available in Newfoundland for you to see to find one in your area, or you can even email uh, the, the Association of Optometrists. Um, they both have websites, college and the association, so you can find an optometrist near you so that you can see somebody. Um, our practice is in Clarenville, so I'm happy to see if you're in that area. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, just just get your vision checked, get your children's vision checked. I think that's super important. Um, but other than that, I mean, that's, that's just key. That's the first step. Um, and making sure that you know what's going on with your own health. And and now that I, hopefully I've identified a couple of areas where, um, you know, things need to be monitored a little bit more. If you have certain other health conditions, um, that, you know, your optometrist can also help you monitor. Cool. So hopefully that's, yeah. That's perfect. And what's your website? So in case somebody's in the I, area wants to go yes. to the clinic. Yeah, so my, the name of my clinic is East Coast Eye Care, and that's www.eastcoasteyecare.com. Great. That's well, thank you, thank you so much for joining me today. I found this really interesting conversation. I didn't really know a lot about the eye health, so it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic to get somebody like yourself. So thanks for joining us. I'm happy to do it. Yeah, anytime. Thank you, Dr. Halloran, for joining me today. I've learned just how important my eye health is. When we think about how much our vision adds to our lives, doesn't it make sense that we should do everything we can to preserve it? So if you haven't had an eye exam recently, I hope that today's show was the push that you needed to head in for a checkup. You never know, you might prevent a condition from occurring or even be missing out on seeing the whole picture without even knowing it. Well, that's our show this week. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.